The Truth News Network. In a world where up is down and sideways is a way of life, when the truth one moment is a lie the next, and everything is your fault, you need hope. You need clarity. You need TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Well, let's get some truth right out there. First thing, Friday morning, guess what? The House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, just narrowly passed Joe Biden's massive Bill Bat Stupid bill. The vote was 2021. Wait a minute, let me check that. I'm going to give you a bad number, and I don't want to do that to start it off. It was narrow. It could have been a little bit narrower. It was 220 to 213. One Democrat voted no to the bill. So when the total number of votes ticked above the 218 that Democrats needed to pass it, a group of Democrats on the House floor just went nuts, cheering, clapping. They were interrupted by Representative Kat Kamek, who's a Republican from Florida. She was announcing several proxy votes on behalf of other members, fellow Republicans that weren't on the uh, House floor. She said the House was not in order, forcing the Speaker to get the celebrating Dems to calm down a bit. And then Kamek proceeded to say she's voting hell no on the bill. And when she said that, she was jeered loudly by those Democrats. Some Democrats also took advantage of their proxy votes to make comments on the floor. One of them said, I will proudly, proudly vote for the future. I wish I had some... uh, some harp music behind me. I will proudly vote for the future, for fairness and for justice, for turning America around, for finally passing a bill for the regular people of America and putting Americans on a new track. That's Representative Steve Cohen, who's a Democrat. I bet you figured that out from Tennessee. And uh, when he said that, he got a bunch of cheers from his fellow Democrats, as you can imagine. We're going to be breaking down some of the elements in this bill, and of course now you know that it's going to go across the hallway, and it will end up in the Senate, and um, I know everybody thinks, wow, it's going to go to the Senate. It's going to be passed over there, and then all this stuff that's in this bill, 2,100 pages of legislation, it's going to be rolled out. And this literally, folks, is what Nancy Pelosi said after passing Obamacare. Remember that years ago? She stood with a sneer on her face at a microphone after it was all over, and she was asked, what's in the bill? And she laughed and said, well, we have to pass the bill so we could find out what was in it. (laughs) We're going to find out what's in this thing. And what we know already is bad enough. I promise you it's worse than it seems. Now, Kevin McCarthy, minority leader in the House, he's a Republican from California. He, uh, yesterday, they were going to vote on this thing yesterday evening, Democrats were, but he asked for recognition, and he went to the floor and made a speech. His speech was a little bit longer than normal, eight hours and 42 minutes he spoke. He finished this morning at 5.11 a.m., that's D.C. time. Eight hours and 42 minutes. 
And he said uh, he was recognized at the beginning of the speech by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for one minute. And after (laughs) eight hours and 42 minutes, he said this, my one minute is almost up, referring to the fact that members of the House were originally given only 60 seconds to state their views on the bill before a vote was meant to have taken place. That was yesterday evening. And by the way, in in, um, just... Where does his speech length weigh in in the history of the House? Well, he set a new one. That's a new record, 8 hours and 42 minutes. The previous, 8 hours and 7 minutes by guess who? Nancy Pelosi, a Speaker of the House in 2018. And she did that in support of the Delayed Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, DACA. Unlike Pelosi, who spoke during the daylight hours, McCarthy spoke all night long. And and let me just weigh in on this. I don't want anything to take away from what's in a piece of legislation. Absolutely nothing. I got to be completely honest with you. I have some respect for Kevin McCarthy. I think he, he falls somewhere between a true conservative and more rhino. And I'm just talking about his legislative stuff. He's never been on this show. Uh, He's been invited several times and has declined. Um, I know he's a busy guy. He doesn't need a little, you know, podcast, even though it's live from Louisiana. He's got all of D.C. and New York wrapped up around him, and he stays on national television quite a bit. I get all of that. But I think what we saw, sadly, what I witnessed, a little bit of his speech that I saw, and I watched a little bit of it, I... um, I think what we experienced was symbolism over substance. Now, instead of spending eight hours overnight, you would think that they would spend eight hours every day trying to educate everybody in the nation with what was really in this bill to try to keep it from passing in the House. Now, it's not a deal. Uh, We already know. When it gets over to the Senate and they take it up for debate, it's going to be stripped of all kind of stuff. But folks, I don't care if they strip out 50% of it. It's still unnecessary. There are things in it that could possibly benefit the American people long term. But it's full of lies. It's full of gross misrepresentations. And the dollar values of this thing and what it's going to cost the American people They're not even close to it. I'll give you an example. The CBO came in, Congressional Budget Office. Those are the officials that are nonpartisan. They don't work for Republicans. They don't work for Democrats. They're supposed to be independent, and they're supposedly, they rate the financial implications of every piece of dollar and cent legislation that comes to Congress. Imagine how long and what kind of process it took to wade through 2,000, 2,100 pages of this thing and try to come up with exactly what it's going to cost. They couldn't do it. And it was purposely done this way. In fact, one of their spokesmen at the CBO said they've never seen a piece of legislation written this way, and it was done so to keep them from being able to come up with the exact cost of what this bill is going to be. I'll give you an example. Uh, $2.67 billion in uh, child care. 
And of course, it's $2.67 billion. That's what it's going to cost her. That's what they are going to, oh, they, if it passes and gets signed into law, that's the amount that will be allocated for that extended child care credits for people below a certain income level. And everybody knows child care is a big deal. If people or both people in the house, the father, the mother, are going to work, somebody's got to take care of the kids, and it's expensive. So Uncle Sam's going to come in and help you out. Only $2.6 billion. Well, here's what they don't tell the American people. In the language in the bill, that's for one year, and that program is supposed to sunset after that one year is over. Do you think it will? (laughs) Do you think that Congress is not, next year we're not going to start hearing the bleeding hearts screaming and crying, we can't take child care away from these poor indigent mothers, people that are right at the poverty line. We can't do that. We've got to renew this thing. And furthermore, we need to make it permanent. So that $2.6 billion is one year. That's not factored into the total cost of this bill. Yeah, the first year is. And there are dozens and dozens of other provisions in it that are falling in the same classification. So the CBO can't really, they know full well that these bills are going to be extended. They may be adjusted a little bit, but they're going to cost significantly more. And when I say significantly more, it could be as much as 50, 75, 80 times more than what it appears to be in this bill that the House just passed. They don't want the American people to know about that. You you know that. When you're in D.C., folks, all that matters is what goes on in D.C. Very little concern about how what they do impacts the rest of the nation. And Democrats, they have total control. They tried yesterday, Republicans did, to get a motion in the bill passed to strip one particular segment of it, illegal immigration amnesty. And if the Republicans had defeated the previous question on H.R. 803, which is the rule for considering the Build Back Better Act, the House GOP planned to amend the rule by putting forth an amendment that was offered by Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Jim Jordan of Ohio to strip the legislation that gives amnesty for illegal immigrants. In a press release, Congressman Steve Scalise from New Orleans He said Democrats want to grant amnesty to millions of people that are living here illegally. CBO estimates their bill will provide nearly a half trillion dollars in benefits to illegal immigrants over the next 20 years. The amnesty would allow close to 7 million illegal aliens and potentially more. I promise you, if they tell us there are 7 million here, there are at least 20 million or more. This bill, if it should get through the Senate, as is, and it should get signed into law, as is, they would get amnesty, they would get green cards, and after five years, apply for naturalized citizenship. Screw the people that want to come here from all over the world, one million of them every year, for decades, 
have immigrated legally to the United States. Same kind of people they want in. Difference is these people are willing to pay a price and do it the constitutional way. They apply when they're accepted and investigated and vetted and found out who they really are and approved to enter the process. Yeah, it takes several years to do it, but you're doing it within the law. One million, that's not enough for Democrats. They want unfettered numbers to not only come here, we're going to pay for their lives just because they came here and did so illegally. We're going to pay for everything. We're going to house them. We're going to clothe them. We're going to feed them. We're going to give them education. We're going to give them health care. We're going to take care of them. And one million immigrants a year is not enough. In the context of the world, folks, we, that one million that we allow into our country legally, uh, legally every year, one million is more than the legal immigrations that happen in every other country on the globe combined. We're the most open country on the planet. Not good enough for Democrats. Oh well, it's a done deal at least in the House. Hopefully, the Senate, and there are certain major parts of this bill that have already been told they're not going to stay in. The Senate's going to pass any part of this bill. All of this stuff has got to go, and we'll get into that another day. That's not going to happen in the next few days, I promise you. What else we got up today? Our buddy, our senator here, Louisiana, one of them anyway, John Kennedy, he is the 21st century's Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. He is the most amazing wordsmith when it comes to making people understand how simple the things that he is saying, the questions that he asks, what he's looking at. And he comes up with some of the greatest analogies I've ever heard. We've got him in the Senate in hearings um, a couple of times today. And uh, one of them is regarding Joe Biden's um, nomination for a person to fill the controller of the currency office. In other words, they work and work to control the policies for banks. Very powerful position. The woman he nominated is a native from the Soviet Union. She was born there, grew up there, and has a lot of history about um, communist ideals. And so in the Sorry about that little technical glitch. In the hearing, she obviously is going to be asked about all of the things that are out there. She's got some history. And Senate um, Senate workers for Senator Kennedy dug into the past, and they found some things that are pretty questionable and certainly are things that need to be disclosed and understood by every senator. That's Remember, the Senate votes to confirm any presidential appointee. It doesn't matter if it's a judge or if it's somebody to the cabinet. That's the way it has to go. Wouldn't you think that we ought to know what all of these people think and what they really would do if they're confirmed? 
Um, I'm one of those. I think it's a big deal. And so I wanted to listen in and hear John Kennedy vet this woman. And I have nothing nothing uh, bad to say about somebody I don't know. But the fact that somebody that's going to run the banking system basically in the U.S. is a, a has a communist background. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, everybody born in Russia at least has a background because there are requirements when Russian people are very young. They have to be actively involved. Now, they may at a later date make a decision to, to move away from that, and hopefully this woman did. She's been in the United States most of her life, and she is a U.S. citizen. But I wanted you to listen in to Senator Kennedy, question her, and uh, bring up some questions and make some points that are pretty important, especially for somebody that's going to be in this position. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. You used to be a member of a group called the Young Communist, didn't you? Senator, uh, are you referring to my membership in the Youth Communist Organization while I was growing up in the Soviet Union? I don't know. I just I wanted to ask you that question. Well, Senator, I... There was a group called the Young Communists, and you were a member. Is that right? I'm not exactly sure which group you're referring to. Well, the formal name of it is the Leninist Communist Young Union of the Russian Federation, and it's also known as the Leninist Komsomol of the Russian Federation, and it's commonly referred to as the Young Communists. Were you a member? Senator, I was born and grew up in the Soviet Union. Yes, ma'am. But were you a member of that organization? Everybody in that country was a member of the Komsomol, which was the communist youth organization. Because so so you, that were, was, you were a member? That was a part of normal progress in school. Yes, um, did you, have you resigned? From the youth? From the young communists? You grow out of it with age, automatically. Did, did you did you did you send them a letter though resigning? Senator, this was many many years ago. As far as I remember, how the Soviet Union worked was at certain age you automatically stop being a well, member. Could, of could you look at your records and see if you can find a copy uh, of your Senator record? Kennedy? I don't I don't interrupt. I almost never interrupt these, but. Well, you always interrupt me, Mr. No, actually, I don't. I'm, not I nearly as many pursue, times as I'd like to. No, I, I, she, she renounced her Soviet citizenship. Well, I understand that, there. but you're not the witness. She is. Would you look at your records and see if you can find a, a letter of resignation for me? Senator, um, as I explained, I was part of the Soviet population. Yes, ma'am. I got that part. I just want to see if you look at your records and see if you find a letter of resignation. Let, let, me, let me tell you what. I've spent a lot of time on your record, and, and here's what I found. Look, this is America. You can believe what you want, but we can't just let anybody be controller of the currency. You wrote your thesis in college at Moscow State University. on The title was Karl Marx's Economic Analysis and the theory of revolution in the capital. But you won't send Senator Toomey a copy. You studied at university, at Moscow State University, scientific communism. 
which is the science regarding the working class struggle and the socialist agenda. In 2019, not 30 years ago, in a Canadian documentary, you called the financial services industry, quote, a quintessential asshole industry. Um, you wrote a paper called Systemically Significant Prices, calling for the federal government to set wages, food, gas prices. In 2020, you wrote a paper called The People's Ledger, where you said we need to abolish bank accounts and make everybody set up an account at the Fed where the federal government will have access to your data. In 2020, you wrote another paper called The Climate Case for a National Investment Authority, where you said what we need to do, the oil and gas industry, is have the federal government bankrupt them so we can tackle climate change. In 2019, you joined a Facebook group, a Marxist Facebook group, to discuss socialist and anti-capitalist views. Now, that's what I see from your record. And you have the right to believe every one of these things. You do. This is America. But I don't mean any disrespect. I, I don't know whether to call you professor or comrade. Oh, my goodness. Senator, I'm not a communist. I do not subscribe to that ideology. I could not choose where I was born. I did not, I do not remember joining any Facebook group that subscribes to that ideology. I would never knowingly join any such group. There is no record of me ever actually participating in any Marxist or communist discussions of any kind. My family suffered under the communist regime. I grew up without knowing half of my family. My grandmother herself escaped death twice under the Stalin regime. This is what's seared in my mind. That's who I am. I remember that history. I came to this country. I'm proud to be an American. And this is why I'm here today, Senator. I'm here today because I'm ready for public service. Listening to that back and forth with Senator Kennedy and the nominee for the controller of the currency, somebody that's gonna regulate all the stuff that happens in every bank, in the United States. Seems like a, a pretty big deal. And um, she has, in his own record, not being very positive about the finance industry in the United States. In fact, she basically called it an a-hole. Actually, she didn't basically do that. That's exactly what she called it. And um, she did a thesis back in her earlier career while she was in the United States, after she had moved here, her family moved here, and she became a citizen, uh, promoting Marxist ideology, especially in the marketplace. And uh, Senator Pat Toomey, in the hearings, before the hearings began, reached out to her staff and asked for a copy of that thesis, and they refused to give it to him. Those kind of things in themselves should be enough to make in every senator's head the bell go off, ding, 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 ding. If they won't provide a document, something that they wrote, and uh, it was a published document at one point, that talks about 
the exact opposite of what the United States of America espouses, and especially a person that wants to join the federal government and be part of the president's cabinet, I would think I would demand to have access to every such document in this person's career just so we can find out what she believes in. It's one thing to sit in front of a bunch of senators after having been schooled for probably 30 to 48 hours by a group of people that are trained to get nominees, appointees for various government positions ready for the questions that will come their way. They're all schooled. They know exactly what to say and not to say. Now, sometimes they get tripped up. I'll give you a proof of what I'm saying. Have you noticed that in every hearing that happens in the Senate, every single one, and even on over in the House where there are hearing uh, hearings that are held and there wit- you have witness there, sworn witness there, when those witnesses, all of them, nominees in the Senate, even over in the House for regular hearings, when they're asked a question, the first thing they always respond with, those that are being asked, Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Congressman, for that question. That's part of the talking point process. You know what? John Kennedy, he tries over and over and over again. And when you hear him in these kind of um, judiciary hearing confirmation hearings, you hear him just try to dig through all the muck, the partisanship, the stuff that you know they've been taught that they should say and how they should respond And just get a simple freaking answer out of these people is like pulling teeth. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. We're not going to belabor that. I just wanted to point out, can you believe this president sent to the Judiciary Committee for a nomination hearing, confirmation hearing, sent somebody born in the Soviet Union, previously avowed communist, part of multiple groups there and here, part of a Facebook group that is about Marxism and supporting Marxism, which is communism. I would think I would want this government to dig pretty deep and find out this person who's going to basically control money. One of the things that has really upset a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard about this, but one of her beliefs is, and she said it again and again. In fact, there's a, a video out there of her giving this speech She says she recommends a system where there would be no private bank accounts. Every bank account would be issued by the Fed, Federal Reserve. And all money in bank accounts would be accessible by the government. I'm not joking, folks. That's on record out there. It's a pretty big deal. Senator Kennedy is going to come back in a little bit, and he's going to give you a short little uh, snippet of his version and definition of inflation and what's going on. He was on with, um, who was it, Jesse, on Fox News, I think, last night. This was recorded. And uh, it's about another big issue. There's so many big issues out there, it's impossible to cover all of them. And instead of cover them, what happens is the news just tries to give the Democrat perception on everything, the perspective they have, whatever they say. It's hard to get to the truth. So what do we do? We just keep digging. There's another 
nasty little thing inside that Democrats build back stupid bill that was passed this morning. We told you about those six and a half million people that are going to get amnesty if it's not stripped out of the bill over in the Senate. But there's another clause in there that's going to add even millions more of these new immigrants to our population in the first decade. A few million other people besides those six and a half million we talked about a bit ago. Most of the other ones are already here and are here illegally would gain legal permanent residence. They call it LPR status or green cards through the provisions in section 6002 and 6003 or as immediate relatives of those who gain legal permanent residence status under the bill. The beneficiaries include at least a million chain migrants. Those are people that are connected as relatives to those that are allowed to come in here. They get to bring in a bunch of family members, regardless of who they are. Plus, most of the one million foreign contract workers who are now using real or faked H-1B visas, work visas, and other work permits to take jobs here in the U.S. This bill provides the contract workers and their families the hugely valuable prize of U.S. green cards. Do you know there are people overseas that will actually buy green cards and pay tens of thousands of dollars to get them here? Green cards can be converted into citizenship, into voting rights, and the ability to bring in chain migrants after just five years. Now, this is a prize, and it's a reward from the U.S. government for taking the white-collar jobs needed by our very own U.S. graduates. The foreign workers, nearly all of whom are Indian, are being imported to create an investor-controlled compliant workplace for the nation's skilled jobs. If you are... You have a child, or you did earlier, you went to college and you wanted to get in, and maybe you got into the IT industry. Lots of high-level, high-skilled positions there, and the openings just as technology changes every few minutes, more and more industries are created, more and more companies. Those were the places where tens of millions of American young people ended up going when they got out of school. So who are making all of these decisions about this particular segment of the migrants, the illegals? Mark Zuckerberg? Twitter? Amazon? Google? And how do they get such power? Campaign contributions. Quid pro quo. So what does this mean? You mean we don't have Americans that are as good as these people from India? that are coming over here and taking these jobs? No, it's not that at all. They can pay them less than they pay the American counterparts. If you ever question why, the first thing you need to figure out on every questionable issue like this, start at this question. Where's the money in this? What's the money situation look like? I don't fault any company from doing their, whatever they do, their goods and services. I don't, I don't fault anybody to try to make a dollar. I mean, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. That's what capitalism is all about. Supply and demand. 
But when you want to manipulate the government, manipulate federal law, hide parts in it that are specifically in there to pat you on the back and help your bottom line, your bottom line, by the way, and these are publicly traded corporations I just mentioned, stock in those companies are owned by who? A lot of American people, a lot of American citizens. And they'll tell you, when you question this process, they'll say, this is going to benefit Americans because Americans own these companies. What about people that are getting kicked out of those jobs that used to be available to them? You know, the ones where they've gone to technology universities, MIT, even big top level universities that get down into the really nitty gritty things of technology. They've spent six, eight, ten years of their life in education. They get out of, they don't have a job anymore. There's no place to go. Very few people want to talk about that, folks, but it is a huge deal. There are so many pieces in this legislation. This one thing we're talking about, there are two pieces. Giving away high-level, high-paying jobs to these immigrants that are coming in here. Well, they're coming in here now, but they're coming in 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 large. They're coming in here illegally, or they'll get temporary status. And big companies don't want to bring somebody in really in these very, very responsible and highly technical positions and then only find out six months, eight months, 12 months later, they can't stay here. They've got to go back to their country and apply for re-entry. Big companies can't afford to do that. So how do you fix it? Uh, You pass out a whole lot of campaign contributions to all of these people in Congress and they're going to listen to you because you gave them money. You make a phone call, they're going to listen to you. Enough of them send these people in Congress enough money, they're going to get a bunch of people in Congress to listen to them. And sadly, then it becomes, it's not about making the decisions in the House of Representatives and the Senate that are best for the people in my state and district. Yeah, I'm going to do what I can for all of them. But somebody else that's willing to come step up to the table and get in this fight with me, If I have heard what I'm about to tell you once, I've heard it a hundred times from politicians. And this is almost a direct quote. I could give you names of people that you know, that I know, that have actually told me this. Hey, I can't do anything for the people in my district. I can't do anything for the people in my state unless I get elected. Therefore, that's justification for doing whatever it takes for me to get elected. And especially, that means getting and taking campaign contributions. Show me a politician that will actually tell you this and really mean it, what I'm about to say. Ask him this, would you ever do something or consider doing something, a piece of legislation, if you knew the only reason you were doing it was because of obligation to whoever gave you campaign money. I know a lot of politicians, current and past. I'm sad to say, and of course I don't know everything about everybody, none of us do, 
but most of them, almost with the exception of maybe two that I know, I can say honestly they would make decisions based upon quid pro quo obligations in politics rather than making what's best for the people they represent the single reason they do it. How can we fix that? It's called campaign reform. There have been calls for it every year, every two years, election time, in my lifetime. But folks, who's going to do campaign reform? Who has to do? Who are the only people that can do campaign reform? The people in the United States Congress, the ones that are getting all this money. That is, in part, an explanation of why anybody that goes to Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives or in the U.S. Senate, if they're not already wealthy, every single one of them, unless they're just stone-cold stupid, comes out multimillionaires. How does that happen? Quid pro quo. And any one of them that will tell you that's not true, listen closely. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. There's a little caveat, a little thing in this build back stupid bill that the House passed this morning. Nursing homes are warning that this bill, if it's passed, if the Senate keeps it, keeps most of the provisions that are in it, keep it intact, nursing homes are warning it could have devastating results and extreme labor shortages in the nursing home industry. Nation's largest nursing home association sounding the alarm on this spending package saying it could have a major devastating impact and force thousands of long-term care facilities to limit admissions or even close their doors. This is a double coordinated association, the American Healthcare Association and National Center for Assisted Living. Represents over 14,000 facilities housing millions of elderly individuals. Long-felt labor shortages in the industry are going to be exacerbated by two measures in this bill. Again, if they stay in the Senate when it gets over there in the Senate version and it gets signed into law. One of those provisions requires a registered nurse, an RN, to be on hand 24 hours a day. A policy that officials say they've advocated for, but they need assistance to get it done. We strongly support having an RN on staff in nursing home 24 hours a day as we originally proposed in our reform agenda earlier this year. That's from the president and CEO, Mark Parkinson, of that uh, union we just referenced. However, current data, he says, shows that the nursing homes are facing the worst job loss among all healthcare providers. Already, they say, 221,000 jobs have been eliminated since the beginning of the pandemic. Recovery is a long way away, he added. Nursing homes are required to have a registered nurse on staff for at least eight hours a day, but increasing that requirement threefold. That's what they want to do in the bill. would mean hiring 21,000 more registered nurses at an estimated cost of two and a half billion dollars a year. This social socialist spending package would also require 
nursing homes to accommodate regulation changes that are based on staffing ratio surveys conducted by DHS within a one-year time frame. This union representative, Parkinson, said these changes mean nursing homes he represents would need to hire at least 150,000 new caregivers. It could cost the facilities billions of dollars annually. Nursing home providers are doing all they can to attract and retain workers, but the applicants simply aren't there, he said. The provisions in this bill do nothing to help us strengthen our workforce. will only force thousands of nursing homes to further limit the number of residents that they can serve. This all happening while the American elderly population is growing at a pace faster than it's ever grown. One of the reasons Americans live longer, thanks to good medicine. So it's a conundrum. You stay healthy longer, that means you're going to be older when you have to move into a retirement center, a nursing center, a long-term care center. And also, I found out my wife and I found out just two weeks ago, we have and we've had for decades a long-term long-term care insurance policy, and we have a really good one. Every year or every two or three years since we started, the premiums go up. We were one of the few that I know of and that our agent knows of that got this policy, and it has no Ending. In other words, as long as we're alive, it will continue to pay. Most of them have um, a cutoff of so many years after you are first go into one of these facilities. Backing up back to the 30,000-foot level, let me tell you what this is representative of. This is just one little faux pas in this legislation. 2,100 pages, folks. You know it's slammed full of stuff that we have no idea what's in it yet. Remember, they only gave it to us two weeks ago. They talked about it for a year, but they never would tell us what was in it. They purposely didn't want us to know what was in it. They wanted to be out on the trail convincing people around America, all of them, every Democrat, how big and how good this was going to be for American people across the board. Just give us more money. But if you're middle class and down, you're never going to pay a more more taxes than you're paying right now, they said. All of that is a lie. And they hid it from Americans because they don't want us to know what's in this egregious piece of socialist spending. And the most innocent above us, if you take out our babies or the elderly, and this is just going to make the elderly themselves suffer and their family members suffer, Oh my gosh. Part of the legislative process that just absolutely stinks. They love it. They being members of Congress, they love it. Passing all legislation pretty much that's substantive, slamming it all into an, what's called an omnibus bill. One of these, a vehement that you, a, you can, there's no way you can ferret out all the details that are in it, all the provisions. It would take months, and they certainly don't want to, you know, bring stuff up one little piece at a time and do what's called regular order. Regular order in legislative process works this way. 
somebody proposes a piece of legislation. They present it to the House or the leader in their particular branch of Congress. That leader decides which piece of legislation is going to be put into the process. Once that happens, it's assigned to the specific committee that's over that piece of legislation. The committee decides to take it or not, and then they start their process within the committee. They break it down. They get all the details. They bring in people to testify under oath about the details in it. They may even make and have every right to make or attempt to add amendments to each piece of legislation when, if and when, they come up with the final version that that committee votes on and accepts, they send it back to the leader of their branch, either the House or the Senate, and that leader, once again, has a piece of legislation that has been vetted, it's been tested, it's been brought in, it's been examined, amendments have been added if necessary, and then the whole group, Democrats and Republicans in that committee, voted to get it out of committee and to the full House for debate. Then there, for days, usually days and days, they do the same thing with the whole floor, everybody in that branch of the Congress. They don't want to do that. Just imagine if 2,100 pages, there are probably, I'm going to guess conservatively and say of the 2,100 pages, there are 1,200, at least 1,200 different things, important items that should have been broken out and vetted by committee. And if that had been done, most of those wouldn't even have been included in this bill, I can promise you, because there wouldn't be enough support at the committee level to do it. Leadership doesn't like that. They want to throw it all out there. Uh, Regular order, that's the one I describe when you bring in the committee processes and everything. That's like shooting something, shooting a target using a rifle, single shell, single bullet rifle. You're going to be much more accurate. You're going to be much more um, concerted and pointed to do one specific thing. The Democrat way, that first part is named regular order. The other way is to use a shotgun. Bunch of BBs in a shotgun shell and just aim it at the target, not really pointed at the target, not aim it at the target. And you may hit the bullseye with some of those little BBs in that shotgun shell, but most of them are going to just be splattered all over the place. Who suffers at this? The American people, the American taxpayer, the American worker the American small business owner. We're the ones that pay the price. I don't care what Joe Biden said. I don't care what Jen Psaki said. I don't care what anybody said. You cannot spend... Now, this $1.75 trillion, just because of the things that I told you about the tricks, the funding tricks they put in there that the CBO can't track. The CBO knows that these one-year... Segments in this bill, like I told you, the child care tax credit, $2.67 billion is one year. So they didn't include anything in that in their scoring of the bill except the one year. They know full well it'll never sunset at the end of one year. The bill's going to roll over and keep going and going, probably 10, 15, 20 years. The total money in this bill goes way, way up 
with all of those pieces of legislation that are put in it and are done that way. And most of them in here are. So the numbers you're getting, this is what it's going to cost, $1.75 trillion. Realistically, it's pro- I'll, I'll take it on out. It's probably more like $10 trillion. But conservatively and realistically, if they don't renew all of these provisions in this bill over time, maybe $5 trillion. There's no joke in this, folks. That's the reality of this. God, don't go anywhere. we got a lot more to come up. Senator Kennedy's here again and Jen Psaki. The Facts. Nothing But with Dan Newman. And you, Monday through Friday, TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag hot and modern. Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond. Because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman. By the way, truth, it exists in a vacuum. It doesn't need a bunch of other stuff thrown in there with it. Let us just know, give us something, and let us determine if it's true or not. Instead of just beating us over the head again and again. Ah, because I'm the one that said it because that's what I believe. Or we said it. You're obligated to believe us and just do what we tell you to do. Stop it. Just stop that crap. We're smarter than that. Let us be what we are. Real thinking American people. We can do this. We can do it. So what's going on with uh, the old COVID vaccines, the mandate thing. Well, if you wondered about, you hadn't heard much, we haven't heard, I mean, just snippets from the military. You remember that uh, Secretary of State mandated very early on in this, every member of the military be vaccinated, COVID-19 vaccinated. And of course, we've already found out that according to them, the Pentagon, that applies to National Guard and 
Then there's the OSHA one. The uh, military one, by the way, is the piece of the federal mandate. And um, Joe Biden, as the president, he has authority over every division of the executive branch of government. It's a little different than for private corporations. So two different segments out there. Both of them are full of people that are pushing back against the mandates, and litigation is flying everywhere. Well, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she once more told businesses with 100 employees or more to continue implementing Biden's vaccine mandate, despite the fact that OSHA has suspended the implementation because of that court order from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans. Like anybody wondered what the White House was going to say, right? Saki said, let me be very clear. Our message to businesses right now is to move forward with the measures that will make their workplaces safer and protect them and their workforces from COVID-19. This was during a press conference yesterday. Nothing has changed. Earlier this week, OSHA did suspend their implementation of Biden's vaccine mandate, and that was because of a little back and forth, two of them actually, between the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans and the Department of Justice when the DOJ filed an appeal for the Texas law, signed into law by Greg Abbott, that prevents Texas corporations from requiring employee vaccines. Saki said that there are businesses that have already instituted their own version of Biden's mandate without OSHA's help. She said they are essentially implementing components or versions of these vaccine requirements because they know it's in the interest of their workforces to protect their workforces, to make sure they can bring more people back to the workforce. We certainly see that as a positive sign. We're still heading towards the same timeline. The Department of Justice is vigorously defending the emergency temporary standard in court. We're confident in OSHA's authority, she concluded. She's not an attorney. She's a politician. You know why I told you that. She's not an attorney. She's a politician. She's giving us legal advice and legal determination of things. She has no clue. What this whole thing was about, and and we wrote about it, I think, two days ago. I can't remember what day is. One day this week, we wrote a story about the truth of this mandate thing. They knew this thing was going to be tacked immediately from top to bottom by state, by federal, and also by private organizations and groups and individuals as being unconstitutional. They know determination of it, the final determination of the one for the private sector and one for the military sector. They're going to go to the Supreme Court. It's going to be confirmed or denied, rejected, the mandates at the United States Supreme Court. But they also know, Biden knows, it's going to take a long time for that process to play out. And so, instead of putting it out there and waiting and letting the courts decide, they just threw it out there, and they knew it was going to be objected to, and lawsuits filed, and appeals, and all of that. They knew it would get to the U.S. Supreme Court, but it would take a long time. That gives them time to have millions of Americans, military, federal employees, and of course, people in the private sector, 
there will be millions of people, and many have already said this. You know what? It's going to happen eventually. I'm going to have to get vaccinated, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. That's part. I don't know if it's the entire thing they're shooting for, but it's a big part of it. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases head, Anthony Fauci. He was on MSNBC's All In yesterday. He said that if you are in a setting where you do not know the vaccine status of people, then you should be wearing a mask. So Hayes, Christopher Hayes, the host of that show on MSNBC, All In, Hayes asked, in terms of people gathering in the sort of colder weather which is coming, we're seeing cases go up. I keep telling everyone I know this, like, prepare yourself. There'll be cases going up this winter. If people are going to get together for gatherings like Thanksgiving, how should they be thinking about it? He said, my instinct is, you know, everyone should be vaccinated and you should get boosters if you can. Maybe test the day of. How do you think about it? And of course, Fauci never misses a chance to find a Fauci perspective with which to answer everything to do with COVID. Here's what he said. Well, the situation is, and let's just take one scenario. You have a family setting. You're vaccinated. Your family members are vaccinated. And even if the children who are yet too young to get vaccinated, go have an enjoyable Thanksgiving in your home. You don't need to wear a mask, he continued. The situation is that when you're outside in indoor congregate settings where you don't know the vaccine status of people, then you should be wearing a mask. If you're in a situation where everybody is vaccinated, then you really don't need to wear a mask. If you're at home, That's the situation. That's the reason why the CDC says when you're in congregate settings and you have no idea who's around you, there's no requirement for vaccination. That's when you need to wear a mask. If you know people are vaxxed, you don't need to wear a mask. And he added, anybody who starts saying you shouldn't be wearing a mask because we don't know if mask works, that's been put to bed. Mask work, period. There are many studies that now show that, just like the recent study that has come out from the British study, just literally today it came out. Now, the reason I wanted to read those exact verbiage, that verbiage from Fauci, I wanted you to hear, this is deja vu. Do you remember when the very beginning of all of this happened, when we knew nothing about how to handle our lives? during COVID-19. You remember spring a year ago? Spring in uh, 2020. It seems like it was a decade ago. Do you remember how we all felt when we hung breathlessly on every word Dr. Fauci was saying in those White House COVID press conferences that were happening every day? He said these exact same things back then. And he always finished, his default was to go back to mask wearing. Now let me put what you just heard him say about the mask again in perspective. On the CDC website and published here at Truth News Network months ago, on their own website folks, the CDC published 47 test 
results. 47 individual separate tests done by controlled laboratories at the highest levels of medicine in the world. 47 different tests, and they tested every kind of mask, medical mask of every kind that's ever been put in the marketplace, and those that are out there now, including the N95 mask. And the reason for all the tests, the test of these 47 different laboratory tests, control tests, was to find out which masks are effective at stopping the transmission of COVID-19. 47 different tests. And they published them all on the CDC website. We published them here, and we got every one of them from the CDC. Fauci's CDC. The only one of the masks that was tested in all of these 47 different tests that was even remotely effective was the N95 mask, but only if it was enclosed and the person wearing it was breathing oxygen from a tank in a closed situation. That's from the CDC folks. And then the guy, the guy, the purveyor of all things to do with COVID-19, the God, the COVID God of America, Anthony Fauci says, mask work period. That's a quote. There are many studies that now show that, just like the recent study that has come out from the British study. Just literally today it came out. There may be one out there that says it works. But the 47 different studies that were published by the CDC say not a single one of them works. So what do you think it is going on? It's got to be something. There's got to be a purpose behind it. Why do they want us masked up? Why do they want us hiding inside? It's a whole series of things. I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to have them all. Don't claim to have them all. Don't feel like I need to have them all. I have good common sense that God gave me. My wife might question that. My kids might too. Nevertheless, I do. I really do. There's a reason for it all. Maybe two or three or four or five, maybe a hundred. I don't know. But I can tell you this. In the order of seriousness and credibility and the reasoning for requiring all of this, for the fact that the efficacy of the vaccines that Fauci began preaching to us in March in 2020, maybe even late February, we got to get the vaccines out. We got to get them out, but it's going to take years. Until then, lock yourself up. Give us a month. Lock everybody up for a month. Shut everything down. We'll get through this. You remember all that? And then we get into the mass stuff over and over and over every day. What what kind of mask? Oh, it can't be a regular cloth. You've got to have this. you got to have that. Oh, it doesn't work, so you're going to get it. And then we start with the vaccines. Hey, 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 you got a vaccine now. You're not going to die. You're not even going to get COVID-19 a few months later. Well, we call these breakthrough infections. There are going to be a few people, yada, 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 yada. And then it was, well, It's a fact, folks. 
We got to do boosters. You got to get another one six months after you get the first one. And then now we're hearing we're actually being fed a little nugget that these vaccine boosters may be an annual thing, kind of like the flu shot. One big difference. There's a whole lot of different stuff in this, these vaccines, the three vaccines that are out there that we're using, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. And we're not even sure the stuff that's in them, what it does long-term, because there were none of those clinical trials that Fauci told us would take years and normally does. None of those happened with COVID-19. That's why there are so many adverse reactions out there and people are dying from the vaccines. Dan, that's a conspiracy theory. Don't go there. Please don't go there. Vaccines are vaccines and, you know, people are going to have some adverse reactions to that. We'll all rolled in from 1991 to January 1 of this year. All rolled in. From 1991 until January 1st, reported by the CDC, people that were having adverse reactions that were horrible reactions that resulted in deaths. Not from the disease they were vaccinating for, but from the vaccinations themselves. 1991 to January 1, 1,900 people died, all total. That's for all of them rolled in. Mumps, measles, all of them. January 1 to last Friday, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Ten months. 18,461 people have died from COVID-19 vaccinations as reported by the CDC. That is from the CDC website. I'm looking at it here right now. It comes from a weekly report they published for years, since 1991. It's called the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, and that stands for Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. The VAERS COVID Vaccine Adverse Event Reports. Through last Friday, 18,461 deaths, 91,982 hospitalizations, 97,715 urgent care cases, 136,000 other doctor office visits, cases of anaphylaxis, 8,000, Bell's palsy, 11,000, heart attacks, 9,000, 3,000 miscarriages, 29,000 permanently disabled people from the contents of these vaccines. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody at the CDC can even reference it, and it comes from their website. Must not be that important, huh? <laughs> you would think they would uh, they would be all over it because people are dying, folks. People are dying, and it's like it's no big deal. You still got to get vaxxed. You got to get vaxxed. Seventy-seven employees of the city of Los Angeles are already on unpaid leave for bucking their vaccine mandate. Another seven hundred staff members are expected to go the same route in the next two weeks. This is the one city, the city of Los Angeles. That would be 777 people, bam, overnight. 
The good news is overwhelmingly city employees have gotten vaccinated. And I want to be clear, the vaccine mandate is not about getting rid of employees. My goal, this is Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, my goal is to keep every employee and to keep every employee safe. L.A. mandated all city employees get jabbed no later than December 18th or get an approved exemption until then. Unvaxxed employees must submit to two COVID tests a week and $65 per test will be deducted from their paychecks. Employees have to get tested during their free time. Testing has to be conducted by the city or a vendor of the city. Third-party tests are not allowed. Garcetti said, it may cost us some money up front, but it has cost us a lot of money to lose people to COVID when they're out. That has cost us arguably even more. Last month, he warned that city employees who defy restrictions should be prepared to lose their jobs. The sheriff of L.A. County, I love this guy, Alex Villanueva. He confirmed recently that he will not enforce a vaccine mandate requiring his officers to be inoculated. Villanueva expressed his concerns that the mandate in L.A. could spark an exodus in his department, stating that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is already facing severe staffing challenges. It's actually disrupting our ability to provide public safety services to Los Angeles County. And it's this way. It's, it's like it's this way everywhere across the nation. Everybody's dealing with this at some level. And folks... There are a lot of people that feel so strongly about the potential bad that can and does happen and even the long-term effects from these vaccinations. Every day it seems like more and more people are saying, I'm out, I'm not going to do it. I'm one of them. And we have people in our family, our immediate family, that chose to get vaccinated. I'm okay with that. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm not a stupid American. I understand a lot more than some people think that I do in government. And you do too. You do too. And because of that, I'm going to stick to the first 10 amendments of the U.S. Constitution. I know there are people that don't want to abide by all of those tenets of the Constitution. They want it to be able to be changed, to be more applicable to the day, whenever the day is, whatever day, month, year it is. And they say, our forefathers had to be thinking that. They knew that things were going to change. There are a lot of people that feel that way. But that's if they wanted that, they would have told us that was their idea. It's nowhere in the Constitution or the ancillary documentation that came with it from them. I have control of my individual health care constitutionally. It's not a right given me by the federal government. It was a right that I've had immediately and even before. If I'd have been alive back then, the federal government was ever created. Endowed. We are endowed with unalienable rights by our creator in the Declaration of Independence. That's enough for me. Don't tell me how to live my life regarding my personal health care. Yeah, 
if it ever gets proven that there's something specific that can really be a hazard to everybody that runs in the same circles that we do, that's a whole different story. Folks, the stuff they tell us and have been telling us for two years now is factual about COVID-19. Everything about it, every fact they tell us has been refuted. And think about while in between those things, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this. And then for months and months, millions of Americans go do it. And then we not only find out later that it didn't work, what they told us to do or not do hurt us. And people have been dying from that. And it's not letting up. People like Fauci, even though he's being exposed every day, every single day, more information comes out and is verified that he is and always has been a fraud regarding all things to do with COVID-19. And you know what? He proves to us over and over again when he's confronted with facts that go against the so-called facts that he gives us, when the science slaps him in the face for the things that he said, he has never yet said he was wrong about anything. 700,000 Americans are dead, many of them in large part because of facts given to us by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And My Computer Career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Just since you and I have been together this morning, the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, has authorized Moderna, Pfizer, just those two, not J&J, Moderna and Pfizer, COVID-19 boosters for every American adult, every one. Eh, I don't know, folks. It just gets spookier and spookier and more information. I think that's safe to say information 
is kept from us. We don't know what's true and what's not true. But I can tell you this, I know a lot of things that are true and the one fundamental that I can say without any question whatsoever is we are purposely being misled on numerous fronts. And I think, to be honest with you, they do know the facts. But they tell us it's this way, and they feed that for a period of time. And then they come back and somebody else comes out and says, well, it's really this way. And so we're looking from side to side. Well, he said this, and she said this, and then the President of the United States says this. Who do we believe? What about that thing we've been told from the very beginning and still hear it almost every day? Follow the science. Follow the science. And now we're down to, well, we don't believe that scientist or we don't believe that doctor, and so you got to do it our way. How big a deal is that, folks? Do you realize they have locked us down, forced the closure of thousands of, of American companies have put millions of Americans on the beach. Meanwhile, they're flooding our southern border with immigrants that once things get straightened out, immigrants are going to take a bunch of those jobs and the excuse that we'll hear from the federal government when that begins to happen is, well, Americans left and they wouldn't come back to those jobs. So these businesses have to get those replacement employees somewhere. And thankfully, the Biden administration allowed these immigrants to come in and they're ready to be retrained and take those jobs, these major American corporations they're going to be able to fill those positions and everything's going to, you know, that supply chain issue, we're going to get that fixed. Everything's going to be nice. Everybody gets ice cream. And so they're passing out boosters again. Why are they doing it? In this case, it's boosters for everybody in America and every adult in America is eligible as of this morning to get a free booster. Hey, 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 it doesn't cost you anything. Go get this booster. When a year ago, not even a year ago, 10 months ago, we were told, you get these vaccines, you're good. You've killed COVID-19. You've kicked its butt. It's gone out of your life. And then months ago, we get told, well, wait a minute. You know, the efficacy of those things were in the high 90s. Now they're slipping. They're not working as much. And now we find out all three of these, Moderna, J&J, and Pfizer, the efficacy is less than 50%. That's why booster, booster, booster. And if it's a booster now, because the first one didn't work, you know they're going to tell you in six months maybe, hey, every six months, every year, get a booster. And by the way, the federal government's going to pay for it all. And so what does that do? Well, Pfizer Corporation and Moderna and J&J make billions of dollars because the federal government buys them all. And we don't get charged. Our insurance companies don't get charged. Why? Because the federal government paid for it. What's the biggest lobbying industry? Lobbying means write checks to members of Congress. Favorite members of Congress that will support or go up against the legislation that they want to either be passed or not. What's the biggest lobbying entity by far? Big Pharma. Big Pharma. Now, it's not just Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. There's 
several other big pharmacy industries. But these happen to be the ones that are so fortunate the American taxpayers are buying every COVID vaccine they can make. Tens of billions of dollars are coming out of our pockets, going to our government, going from our government to Big Pharma. You got a question about anything? Follow the money. (laughs) Follow the money. It'll answer it every time Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is people will do all kinds of strange things, folks. Strange things over money. Find a way for me to make a little more money and I'm all in and I'll figure out a way. It may have some bad results maybe that could happen, possibly could. I'll find a way to shortcut those. Just give me that opportunity to make money. So here we are, folks. We're a couple of years into COVID-19, and the first we heard about it was from that wet market in Wuhan, China, where that Wuhan Institute of Virology is just a few blocks away, and that bats is where COVID came from. And then we hear all the rumors about the Chinese Communist Party being right there in the middle of all of this stuff and that they were using the Wuhan Virology Institute to create bioweapons. And yeah, COVID-19 would be good. And we heard that some of those people that worked at that lab on this bioweapons process got sick and a couple of them died. And then we have a testimony, a first-person testimony from one of those lab scientists that was in the Wuhan Institute of Virology when all of this happened. And she said, here in the United States, she said in multiple interviews, we've played some of her testimony here at TNN Live, that it definitely was created, COVID-19, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology Laboratory and was weaponized there using the gain-of-function thing. And, of course, Anthony Fauci, he funded personally hundreds of millions of dollars through the NIH, his agency that we own, giving grant money for gain-of-function research, which is taking something that's benign, like a virus, and weaponize it to use against your opponents. And the excuse that they give for doing that is we know these viruses are going to morph and get stronger and stronger, and we need to know that when that happens, we will have the medicine to fight the new version that's coming out, like that Delta variant thing that they tell us is out there. So this president, who has bragged over and over again, through his eight years as vice president under Barack Obama, and then after he left office and he was campaigning, Xi Jinping, the lifetime appointed, if you call what happens there an appointment or an election, he is a leader for life of the Chinese government, the Communist Chinese Party, Xi Jinping. Joe says, hey, I've been with him a bunch of times. I've met with him. He didn't say this, but really what happened was me and my boy, Hunter, We went over there, we flew over there on Air Force Two, and we cut a deal for my boy with these Chinese Communist Party government-owned big companies, 
and they gave my son and his investment firm a billion and a half dollars to invest for the Chinese government. Me and Xi Jinping, we're buddies. That's what Biden would say. Well, he hadn't talked to Xi Jinping since he got elected 10 months later. Monday evening, they had a call. And they put out some information about what was discussed in the in the call. And one of the things that was on everybody's mind was and is China the originating agent in the creation of COVID-19. Did it come from China? Did it start in China? Now, you would think the president of the United States, who bragged incessantly about his buddy Xi Jinping, you would think that they could talk about everything. That's what friends do. Jen Psaki yesterday was asked by Peter Ducey about the COVID part of the conversation that all Americans, especially those in media, were expecting President Biden to talk to Xi Jinping about China being the source of COVID. Listen to Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki discuss that. And then following up on the meeting with President Xi, American intel agencies have told the president they cannot crack the origins of COVID without China's help. President Biden had a chance to ask for China's help. Why didn't he? Well, I would say that the president's uh, push for uh, the Chinese to be participate more, provide more transparent data and information, we've never held back on that front. We've uh, argued for it publicly. We've argued for it at every level. And the president did talk in his meeting about the importance of transparency, which is this is exactly an example of. He talked about the importance of transparency, but did he ask President Xi to cooperate specifically with this U.S. intel agency-led investigation into the origins of COVID. Peter, it's clear that that's what we want. That's what we've been pressing on. I don't have any more to to read out for you from the meeting. You're saying that it's clear. Is it clear to somebody who has a Zoom meeting with the president that that's what he means if that's not what he says? I think the president has spoken publicly on this a number of times. Our national security officials have conveyed very clearly, I don't think it's a secret. That's what we want. That's what we've been pressing for. And then for. just the final one on that. Are they old friends or not? Because the president has claimed that they're not. You claimed that they're not. But then President Xi said that they are. Uh, the president didn't say that. The president considers him someone he has known for some time, someone he can have candid relationships with. I can't speak for how the Chinese categorize or describe people they know in the world. I can only describe how the president views the relationship. Well, Joe himself said he was buddies with Xi Jinping. Uh, if we need to, we can go dig up some of that uh, conversation from the past. Most politicians forget that uh, we live in a world of the internet and we live in the world of Google and YouTube and everything they say, <laughs> good or bad, it's caught. There's a camera phone in everybody's purse or pocket. You can't say or do anything in a vapid world any longer. It's going to out at some point. And Joe Biden has famously bragged about his close personal relationship with Xi Jinping, the communist leader of China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kyle Rittenhouse case is dragging on. Jury's back into the deliberations. They're fourth day now. I wonder what they're going to do over the weekend. I would imagine because of that, there's going to be a push on for them to get something decided before the weekend. Those jurors don't want to be uh, locked down, basically. They're not sequestered. Um... They don't want to be locked down. 
over the weekend. They want to get back to life as usual. Four days. I would have thought they'd been back before now. And we've got some other news and information out of the Rittenhouse case going on. I want to bring that to you. Nancy Pelosi, shortly after that meeting happened, um, she had a press conference. And, um, of course, they were taking the victory laps about the plan, the bill back better, what it's going to do, yada, 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 yada. And she got asked about the SALT part of that. What does the SALT, S-A-L-T, stand for? It's a state and it's a, it, what it is, folks, it's a tax. Um, you have always been able, doesn't matter where you live, without a cap on the amount, you've been able to deduct the interest that you pay on the taxes of your real estate, of your home. You can deduct it. So if you fall in, let's say, a 30% tax bracket and you pay a $10,000 tax on your house, your state tax, whatever your, your, your mortgage, not your mortgage tax, but your real estate taxes are, you can deduct those. So if you pay $10,000 and you're in a 30% tax bracket, it saves you three grand. So it's like you only are actually paying $7,000. Well, when you live in really ritzy, very expensive part of the countries like most of California, most of New York, New Jersey, and some other spots where real estate prices are through the roof and therefore their taxes are through the roof, uh, these people were really looking for some opportunities to get a better treatment because they could only deduct $10,000. Now, if they paid a million dollars in real estate tax, they could only deduct $10,000. This uh, social spending bill, the Build Back Better thing, that it was all about social infrastructure, we were told. Guess what's in it that came out of the House of Representatives? That unilateral salt protection is back in. That means those wealthy people that weren't supposed to get anything in this, oh, this bill's not going to favor the wealthy. They will get millions of dollars out of this in their pockets if it passes and gets signed into law. So Pelosi was asked about it, and as you can imagine, she was ready to go with a rapid answer. Mr. Speaker, on the second bullet point on your board there, um, can you respond to the criticism that when all is said and done on this bill, the people who get the biggest tax cut are millionaires who can take advantage of the changes in the state and local tax deductions? Thank you for that question. As a supporter of that particular measure in the bill, I want to just say and thank you for allowing me to clarify what that is about. That's not about tax cuts for wealthy people. It's about services for America's, the American people. In our communities where we have taken care of our people, education, transportation, health care, all of the issues that public service brings to people was slashed by the Trump administration and we're just turning that over. 
So this isn't about who gets the tax cut. It's about which states get the revenue that they need in order to meet the needs of the people. And that is a fight that I will continue to. That, that is still the result, though. I mean, that is still the result. No, it isn't. It isn't the result. Most of, that isn't the result. The fact is, is that the, the uh, dynamism that is injected into our states for the people is what is important here. And we're not going to have our states with their hands tied behind their back because the amendment are still not in the reconciliation bill but weeks ago chairman jeffrey said that anything is on the table is that still the position it's not in the bill it's not in the bill thank you for your question it's not in the bill it's not in the bill it's not in the bill yeah they're going to get that money back and of course she had to immediately say oh it's not about these wealthy property owners getting a big break back that the trump administration took away from them not about that at all. And of course, it also means it's state and local taxes. So now they're going to be able to have virtually unlimited deductibility. Who has that? Only the wealthiest of wealthy Americans have access to that and will benefit from that. But she doesn't want to, oh, she very plainly said, oh no, it's not about that. It's not about the tax deductions for the wealthy. It's about all of the social things we're able to do for our government, for our people, that those evil Trumpsters pulled out. Why can't anything Democrats do legislatively? Why can't it stand on its own? Why do they have to say, the reason we're passing this is because of the evil things that Trump did when he was in office that took all of this away from the American people? Folks, Americans' income rose dramatically during the Trump years. The tax revenue to the federal government, tax revenue that comes from profits. Profits come from corporations. And taxes are also, they're affected and impacted by income taxes we Americans pay. The biggest income tax reduction in decades passed and signed into law during the Trump administration. They said it was going to bankrupt the government. There was no way the government could run. If Where would we get the money when you made these massive tax cuts? Revenue to the federal government went up immediately and stayed at the highest levels in American history, even with those evil Trump tax cuts. Nobody wants to talk about that. And Nancy certainly doesn't want to answer the question honestly that that reporter kept trying to get her to answer. What about that? What about that? We were told the wealthiest of Americans are going to pay for all the cost of this bill, which we knew was a lie when it was said and repeated and repeated and repeated. And you you just saw her method. You heard her do it herself. I'm not going to answer it. It's not in the bill. It's not in the bill. Next question, please. That's the way Democrats run government. And it's got to stop. It's got to. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight, a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. 
We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding rental and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Jury's in its fourth day of deliberations up in Kenosha, Wisconsin in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Fourth day. And there's been some big news that came out the last 24 hours. Cops say they briefly detained one guy, one man, who is quote-unquote associated with MSNBC. Why did they um, detain him? Well, he followed the jury bus and may have attempted to photograph jurors. As a result, Kyle Rittenhouse's murder trial judge barred MSNBC, the entire network, from the courtroom yesterday. Jurors are driven to the courthouse every day from a secret location in a van with the windows covered so that they don't see the protesters outside. They enter through a secret door, preventing them from coming into direct contact with the general population. So according to this judge, Bruce Schroeder, he's become one of my heroes. The man introduced himself to police as James J. Morrison, and he stated that he worked for NBC News Cable News Network, MSNBC. He claimed that he was told to follow the bus by someone from MSNBC in New York. Makes sense to me. So following that, NBC News issued a statement referring to Morrison as a freelancer and denying that he intended to photograph jurors. NBC News then said they apologized. They're sorry for the event, stated it would fully assist with the investigation. While the traffic violation took place near the jury van, the freelancer never contacted or intended to contact the jurors during their deliberations and never photographed or intended to take a picture of them. This is from NBC. Officers stopped Morrison after he reportedly ran a red light. This is according to the judge. Morrison allegedly told officers he was doing what he was doing at the behest of his boss, MSNBC. In a pair of tweets, the Kenosha Police Department said he was briefly taken into custody and then handed multiple traffic-related citations. The cops assured the public there was no breach of security regarding the jury, nor were there any photographs obtained. The tweets added no other details would be released because this is an open investigation, saying that this incident is being investigated much further. Now, 
What's the big deal about this? Well, let me just tell you this. If you put it all, this story, in the context of what's happening this week in Kenosha and what happened there last year, it's a really big deal. How this jury feels when they go in those rooms where they deliberate and come up with the sentencing, whatever it's going to be, against this young man. Their direction for their votes is going to be and needs to be and is supposed to be based on nothing emotional, based 100% on facts, evidence. And we've already been told after the fact pieces of very important evidence were purposely kept out of the trial, out of the courtroom, that would further vindicate Kyle Rittenhouse and support his claim of self-defense for the shootings. And just imagine if the jury got wind of any of this stuff going on outside. It would potentially impact the result of Kyle Rittenhouse's life for the rest of his life. If he did something wrong, folks, he should pay for the price. He should pay for what he did that was wrong. But the supporting evidence that we all saw, the videos that we all saw, they don't support the prosecutor's charges against him because he did shoot three people. And every one of those three people were doing life-threatening things directed his way. Two of them had guns. One of them was chasing him with a gun pointed at him. You got to keep facts being the only reason for a verdict, whatever the verdict's going to be. So MSNBC is owned by NBC. So my question is, the, the judge banned MSNBC from having any presence whatsoever in the courtroom again. I wonder if that applied for NBC or just MSNBC. Because there are hundreds of NBC people that have been in that courtroom over the course of the trial, not at one time. I just thought of that, thought I'd throw that out there. So meanwhile, Joy Reid, the furthest left person I can think of that has a show on MSNBC, she chastised, um, she has been chastised because she compared Kyle Rittenhouse to Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. She refers on air to both of them as Karens, Karens, which is a very derogatory talk-down um, method used by the cancel culture folks and for a anchor on a major news network to call someone that pretty much says a lot about the credibility of that entire network and of course of Joy Reid. And she said Brett Kavanaugh, Kyle Rittenhouse are both men, white men. She referred to them as Karens who benefited from white male tears. Last week when he was testifying, you may have seen it, he broke down on the stand, prompting a barrage of criticism from the left. The teen has pleaded guilty, not guilty, to the charges of fatally shooting two men, wounding a third during that night of protest against racial inequality in 2020. Novel idea. Why don't some of these news anchors, why don't they just do this? Follow the facts. Follow the evidence. Instead of getting into the... um, political, elitist, news, media, we know everything, you know nothing, listen to us, we can say anything, and what we say is right, don't question us, and certainly 
don't question our methods in the way we report and the things that we say about it because we're the media. MSNBC is the furthest thing from media, true media, from journalism I've ever seen. Have you heard the latest? Have you heard this little thing about Pfizer Corporation and the FDA? Listen to this, folks. The FDA yesterday asked a federal judge to give them until the year 2076. 2076. You do the math. 55 years. The FDA asked a federal judge to give it until the year 2076 to fully release the documents in its possession that is tied to the approval of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. 51 years. Why? Well, the request was made in a filing as part of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit by a medical transparency group. The government told the court it has 329,000 pages of documents that are responsive to the FOIA request and proposed releasing 500 pages per month to allow for redactions of exempt material. At that rate, the FDA would fully release the records in question in just under 55 years. The plaintiff in the case, Public Health and Medical Professionals for Transparency, is a group formed including doctors and scientists, including Harvey Risch, by the way, who's a professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. You've seen him on all kinds of TV shows, on national shows, continually since, uh, I guess, two months after the pandemic began. The group filed this lawsuit after the FDA denied the request to expedite the release of the records. Both the plaintiff and the defendant, unable to reach an agreement on a disclosure schedule or seeking a hearing to argue their cases before the judge, who will probably eventually make a decision in that regard. The FDA's promise of transparency is, put it mildly, a pile of (laughs) illusions. That's Aaron Seary, whose firm is representing PHMPT in that lawsuit. It took the FDA 108 days from when Pfizer started producing records for licensure to when the FDA licensed the vaccine. Taking the FDA at its word... It conducted an intense, robust, thorough, and complete review and analysis of those documents to assure that the Pfizer vaccine was safe and effective. While it can conduct that intense review of Pfizer's documents in 108 days, it has now asked for over 20,000 days to make these documents available to the public. The FDA licensed the COVID-19 vaccine, BioNTech, under the Comirnaty label on August 23rd. That's the little, the junior brother of BioNTech, their first one that's been on the market, the one that has killed the most people through adverse effects of just the shot. The license, They licensed, the FDA did, the new one, the one that has been quote-unquote fully approved by the FDA, Comirnaty, that's the label, It only took four months for Pfizer to submit the documents for full approval and to get it. Four months. And oh, by the way, the Comirnaty, which is the only one of the vaccines that is fully authorized, 
If you look at Pfizer's website and type in that word and do a search for Comirnaty, and it's spelled C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y, that is the only approved, fully approved COVID-19 vaccine in the United States. The other two remain in emergency use authorization only. If you put Comirnaty in your search bar on Pfizer's website, a disclaimer will come up and tell you that drug is not available in the United States. I wonder why. I just thought I'd throw that in. And obviously the reason they have asked for this long to uh, till 2076 to turn over those documents is they don't want the American people to see what's in them. In Europe, what about what's going on over there in the wake of COVID-19? What about Austria? This, this one just blows my mind. I know a little bit about Austria. I've flown over it, never been to it. Their chancellor, Alexander Schallenberg, he has announced the country, Austin, Austria, is enforcing a nationwide lockdown, and they're, they're going to require COVID-19 vaccinations for its entire population as of February. He said, we've not succeeded in convincing enough people to get vaccinated. He added that the blanket requirement to get vaxxed against COVID-19 virus will start on February 1. It hurts that such measures still have to be taken, he said. He noted that the lockdown will start next week, November 22nd, and will last up to 20 days. Under this new measure, non-essential shops are going to be closed. Austrians will be asked to work from home. Schools are going to remain open for those who need to go, but parents are encouraged to keep their children at home. Austria has become the first country in European Union to impose a full lockdown, a full lockdown this winter. Last week, officials initially placed millions of people who aren't fully vaccinated on lockdown there. That's now increased to the whole population regardless of vaccination status. Does this not sound like deja vu coming back around again and again and again and again? We just can't get truthful information. So how do you feel about the midterms? How do you feel what's going to happen there? Every day it seems to me like more and more Americans are waking up and realizing how quickly this administration, and I'm not just talking about the Biden administration directly, I'm talking about the administration including the Democrat-controlled Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Democrat-controlled U.S. Senate. How quickly, in just 10 months, they have shut this nation down and they have forced Americans to turn, or they're trying to force Americans to turn all of their attention and all of their energy and all of their expectations to the federal government in Washington for every answer and for every solution. Forget about this free will thing. Well, there are a bunch of people in Congress that are watching this play out, and they realize the great giant, the American people, have awakened and are looking and watching, and this is not being, when it's rolled out among us, it's not being what we're told it's going to be. And they don't like that. Predictions are at epic proportions that the GOP is going to take back control of the House and the Senate in 2022. And certainly, 
the White House in 2024. A bunch of Democrats are folding up saying we're not coming back. Latest couple of them, Representative G.K. Butterfield from North Carolina announced his retirement yesterday. That's adding another blow to Democrats' efforts to maintain their very slim majority in the House in the midterms. Butterfield is 74. He served Congress for 18 years. He was a former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus from 2015 to 2017. Right now, he's the chair of the Subcommittee on Elections. So he's folding up shop and leaving. Representative Jackie Spire is a Democrat of California said she's not going to seek re-election next year. In a video that she posted on Twitter, she confirmed that, quote, Today I am announcing I will not be a candidate for re-election to Congress in 2022. Conceded that it is time for me to come home, time for me to be more than a weekend wife, a mother, and a friend. So that's two that are not coming back, and there have already been some other ones. There's already been one House flip in a special election two weeks ago from Democrat to Congress, uh, Democrat to Republican. And so it's just, it's just not looking real good right now for the Democrats coming up in 2022. And maybe if we get a change, maybe if we get a flip, um, we'll get back to some reason in the legislative process. And I got to be completely honest with you. We can't ever allow this system to go back that way where the Democrats control the entire government. All it'll be is a rehash of what we're living through right now. Golly, we're running out of time. We got to get in this last break. Here's what I want to do. I told you about Senator John Kennedy. Well, he was on uh, with um, wasn't Tucker. He was on Jesse Waters. He was on with Jesse Waters, and they talked about inflation. We're going to do this final break. When we come back, folks, you are going to hear Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana give an unbelievable explanation of what's happening right now in this administration and in our lives regarding inflation. Don't go anywhere. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. It's time to drive again with Honda, KVB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image source from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KVB.com for more information. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. Two people I really like on television. Jesse Waters at Fox News. He's just got a, he's he's very conservative, but he's got a great way of expressing himself. He's always got a smile on his face. He's got a quick wit. And then, of course, there's Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. You heard him earlier in that uh confirmation hearing for 
Biden's nominee to head the um, the banking system in the U.S. The job is actually called controller of the currency. Jesse and Senator Kennedy had a conversation about inflation in America. <laughs> now, I, I, I wish... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wish I would, could tell you it's going to get, get better. But... The, one of the toughest parts of being a bartender, I am told, is figuring out who's drunk and who's just stupid. <laughs> and I feel a little bit like a bartender in trying to figure out the Biden administration and inflation. Um, on, on the one hand, inflation is waterboarding in the American people. You practically have to arrange a bank loan to, to fill up your gas tank. What's causing it? As, uh, as any economist with a pulse will tell you, President Biden is spending too much money and he's borrowing too much money. That's the classic definition of inflation. Too much money chasing too few goods. So what's the president's solution? The other day I said that the Biden administration, I've observed, never makes the same mistake twice. They make it five or six times just to be sure. Here, here's the president's solution to inflation, which he has caused by spending too much and borrowing too much. Let's spend even more and let's borrow even more. He is uh, trying to pass this bill back better bill, which is just a spending and borrowing orgy of epic proportions. Four trillion dollars of new spending, two trillion dollars of new debt, two trillion dollars of uh, new taxes, and it's it's going to be like throwing kerosene on a tire fire. <laughs> now, I, I, I wish go ahead. I was just going to say I wish I would could tell you it's going to get better, but the 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 water's not going to clear up until we get the pigs out of the creek, <laughs> and and I don't see my Democratic friends doing anything differently in solving inflation on their own. We're my party's just going to have to take back Congress if we want to end inflation. You can't clear the water <laughs> until you get the pigs out. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think we are going to get better. Senator Kennedy, I think it will get better, and I think it'll get better on your watch and your fellow members in Congress. That's a wrap, folks. Boy, you have a great day. We had a great week here. Thank you for being here. Bullet points in the morning. Catch up on the hot stories of the week. And we'll see you back here Monday at TNN Live. I just want to-